expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Communications, staff, management, or advertisers. Activist Radio is on the air. You have tuned in to the Mark Harrington Show, sponsored by Created Equal. Mark is training a new generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win. You don't like abortion, don't have one. The only thing that can be said to be objective truth is that there is no objective truth. It does come out in one piece. It comes out in one piece. I would argue that we certainly are not all created equal. And now, here's Mark. God is pro-choice. That's right. That's what I said. God is pro-choice. Now, if you're wondering who's saying that, you're listening to The Mark Harrington Show, your radio activist coming to you from the Created Equal Studios in Columbus, Ohio, over the Salem radio stations, and on my social media platforms. Yeah, God is pro-choice, folks. I mean, I don't know. Uh, if you read the scripture, that's what, what it says. And before you turn off the radio or click out of this video or stop listening or watching the Mark Harrington Show, let me let me kind of clarify that a little bit. God is pro-choice. If you look at the uh, the verse in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says this. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life so that you may live and your descendants also. So God's pro-choice. He says, I've put before you life and death, the blessing and the curse, and I say choose life. He's saying choose life. God is pro-choice in that. He puts before us life and death, and he tells us to choose life. Now, it's a commandment, but God is pro-choice. You're listening to Radio Activist Mark Harrington. I've been in the fight for the pre-born for almost 25 years. And the reason I got involved way, way back in when is when I saw an aborted baby picture. My wife showed me after newly uh, coming to Christ uh, way back when. And that's what started it all at that point. I had not been a believer up until I was 28 years old. I got saved when I was 28. My wife showed me a picture when I was 29, and it changed my life forever. I remember that moment saying to myself, something's got to be done. And one step after another led me to the place I am today, which is the president of Created Equal, an organization that trains up the next generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win, because winning is how the killing ends. We go to college campuses and high schools all over America. In fact, right now as I speak to you, we are in the state of Florida, visiting many colleges here in the state of Florida as part of our justice ride. Our justice ride is where we uh, <clears throat> put a whole bunch of young people, about 50, 50 or so of them, in a charter bus, go on the road, go city to city, campus to campus, abortion clinic to abortion clinic, high school to high school, training them on the way. It is the premier training program in America. Why? Because if we don't just fill them with head knowledge, we give them head knowledge, yes, we teach them in the bus, in the classroom, but we put them on the street and we put them in front of people that disagree with them. And we, we you know, that's how they learn. That's how, how people learn. People learn on the job. So what I want to do today on the Mark Harrington Show is do what I would call a, 
a, a pro-life apologetics 101 course, kind of a crash course. Now, in the short time we have today, I'm not going to be able to get through the entire course. We'll save maybe a second segment for later. But I want to get started and kind of train you folks on how to debate, how to make a winsome a case for the pro-life position. And so what I'm going to do today, uh, I'm going to try to get through as many as he can, but we're going to come up with, I've come up with four proofs for our position. Four proofs for the pro-life position, the anti-abortion position. The first one is the theological proof. The second is the legal proof. The third is the biological proof. And the fourth is the philosophical proof. Now, I'm not going to get to all these. I'll get to as many as we can. But the idea here is that we're going to give these proofs so that you can go out into your community, or you can join us or join some other pro-life group at your abortion clinic in your city, high schools, colleges, overpasses, anywhere, any place where people gather, you can go and start conversation. That's the point. Or you can just have this ready in your toolbox, These, this stuff that I'm going to be teaching you, so that when you're talking to colleagues at work or at school or wherever you might be, that you will have an answer for the hope that is in you. So I'm going to teach you today, hopefully, to be a pre-born defender. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll do what I can. The Scripture is clear that we need to be because in Proverbs 31, verse 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Obviously, the pre-born don't have a voice. They don't have a vote. Somebody's got to speak up for them, and that's us, folks. That's Christians, those who claim the name of Jesus Christ. Also, in Proverbs 24:11, it says, Rescue those being led away to death. It is not only our obligation and commitment and duty to speak up for the preborn or those who cannot speak up for themselves, but it's also our responsibility to rescue them, to be actively doing something to save them, to, to save them, rescue them, being led away from death. So, uh, so let's do this. Let's let's take a couple of theological points. All right. If you remember way back when, this kind of dates myself, but Bill Clinton, former president, right? Bill Clinton, the great theologian, Bill Clinton. Remember him? He said this: that there is no verse in the Bible that condemns abortion. Remember that? That's that's what he said. I mean, he was a Baptist, so I mean, he must have known. He, you know, this he's a great. He, he knew his Bible. He must have known. I don't know. But that's what he said. A lot of people said, oh, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I guess in the strict sense of the, 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 the idea, yeah, there's no word, no, no phrase in the Bible says thou shalt not commit an abortion. But obviously, the Bible speaks to it, right? And we see it in the Sixth Commandment that says thou shalt not shed innocent blood. Now, I don't say thou shalt not kill. I don't say thou shalt not murder. It's thou shall not shed innocent blood. It's about shedding innocent blood, right? Now, people will say, well, that doesn't condemn abortion. Well, it does if we can prove that the preborn are human, because then you're shedding innocent blood. So it's all about proving whether the preborn are human or not. The scripture also condemns, uh, or I'm sorry, recognizes the humanity of the unborn. Before birth, before birth, not just at birth or a conception, but before birth. Jeremiah 1, verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. 
I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God recognizes the humanity of the born before you're even born. He knew you. He knew who you were and who you're going to be. God also recognizes the humanity of the unborn at conception. Genesis 4 verse 1 says, Now the man, of course he's talking about Adam, Now the man had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. It says she conceived. God calls him a man-child with the help of the Lord. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 says, For you, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. God recognizes the humanity at conception. And lastly, God recognizes the humanity at six months. We know this because of the story of Jesus, right, and Mary and John the Baptist. So it says this, when this is Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 44. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, it says, the baby, that's what it says in Scripture, at six months, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with, with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And how has it that it's happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby, it says, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. It doesn't say the fetus, the embryo, the blob of tissue, the product of conception. Uh, none of that. It says baby. And by the way, the word baby in Greek means unborn child, unborn child. So the Bible is clear. Uh, this is just a really short take on what the Bible says about uh, the unborn. But we know that uh, God recognizes the humanity of the unborn before birth. When we look at the passage in Jeremiah. He recognizes the humanity of the unborn at conception. When we look at the verses in Genesis chapter 4, Psalm 139, and God recognizes the humanity of the unborn at six months when we look at the, the passage in Luke chapter 1. So, that's a short, very short uh, treatment of the issue of whether what the, uh, what the Bible says about the unborn you know, um, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, many, I'm sure there are some in the audience that have had abortions. Uh, I want to be clear on this. Uh, it's not the unforgivable sin. Some people treat it as such. It's not. Uh, forgiveness comes the same way it does for every other sin. That is at the foot of the cross. Uh, we treat it sometimes as the unforgivable sin because we don't speak about it at all. The pastors are silent, church is silent about it, doesn't say much about it. So mothers, you know, parents, folks that have had abortions, what are they left to think if they're sitting in their pews? They're thinking to themselves, well, my pastor doesn't deal with this question. He doesn't talk about abortion. What are they supposed to think? They're probably going to think, well, it must be so bad that he can't speak about it. 
And so what do they do? They live in darkness. They live in the shadows. They don't come out because we've treated it like it's the unforgivable sin because we don't deal with it. Well, my good friend, Michael Spencer, who is a uh, former pastor and works for Life Training Institute, Scott Klusendorf's organization, said this, and I think this really speaks to the issue uh, of whether you know we should be treating the issue of abortion like the unforgivable sin. He says this, if pastors don't preach on abortion, it's either because abortion isn't that bad or the gospel isn't that good. Now think about that. If you pastors, listening to the sound of my voice, don't preach on abortion, you either think that abortion's not that bad or the gospel's not that good. Now, I could say authoritatively that abortion is that bad. Uh, you know, just go to our website and watch them. Watch an abortion in progress. Go to createdequal.org. We have them, right? We have pictures of them. Abortion is that bad. And we should preach about it because it is that bad. It's a crime against humanity. It's a genocide. It's a holocaust. And right now we're looking at post-birth abortions being supported by an entire political party. But we also don't think that the gospel's that good because we don't think it can forgive that sin sometimes. If we're not preaching on it, then we don't believe the gospel's that good. So I, I exhort you pastors, preach on abortion. Preach on it because it is that bad. But also preach the gospel because the gospel is that good. Now, let's move on to the legal proof uh, for the pro-life position. And what I'm going to speak of here is the Roe versus Wade decision primarily uh, in that now we have 46 years of it still the, quote, law of the land, although the, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't make law. It issues opinions. doesn't make law. We treat it like law. So it is de facto law in a sense. But in Roe versus Wade, which was handed down in 1973, January 22, and Doe v. Bolton, the companion case that was handed down on the same day, basically made the uh, word person not include the unborn. In fact, Harry Blackman, who wrote for the majority, said this when he talked about the 14th Amendment. He said the word person, as used in the 14th Amendment, does not include the unborn. Now, and ever since, we've separated the humanity of the preborn from personhood. Those are two, we, we've separated those two. It's what's called dualism. Body, self, dualism, if you want to call it that. We separated the science, the, the biology, the body from the person, the philosophy and, and other things that we, you know, we talk about a person being different than a human. That's what happened in 1973. They were split. Um, the bottom line is if you're human, you're a person. If you're a person, you're a human. You're, that's interchangeable. Or it should be. But that's what we hear from the other side. Until now, of course, you know, a post-birth abortion should be legal, even though uh, a, a person that's born in the United States is protected by the 14th Amendment. They don't even believe that now, apparently. But personhood is the legal status that we ascribe to the humanity of the unborn. At conception, they are persons. Now, a lot of people, we won't get into this today, and a lot of the arguments are, well, they're not persons until they're sentient. They're not persons until they can live outside the womb. They're not persons until some other, you know, arbitrary standard that we, we pick out of thin air. Uh, they're not persons until they're born. 
They're not persons until quickening. They're not persons until there's a heartbeat. They're not persons until you can uh, register uh, or uh, pick up brainwave activity and so on and so forth. So we arbitrarily assign personhood based on our own, you know, belief that uh, whatever, you know, whatever we want to pick out of thin air. And so you'll you'll hear it from all types of people. They'll just pick out their own uh, place at which they decide where a person is becomes a person. But it is a legal status. It's it's in our in our amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, it talks about the, the word person. And so the goal of the pro life movement ultimately is to redefine person to include the preborn. Even though our founders believed that that included the preborn, I think there's evidence to that effect. Uh, it, it, you know, an, an amendment to the U.S. Constitution eventually will have to be made. I mean, it will probably. But anyway, so that's the legal proof. Roe v. Wade is still the quote-unquote law of the land. Now, whether we obey it or not is up for discussion. A lot of people think we should be defying Roe v. Wade. You know, that's we'll leave that for another day. Uh, but we certainly should be challenging it and trying to strike it down and overturn it so it goes back to the state legislatures where it belongs. So we've talked about the uh, the theological proof briefly. We've talked about the legal proof. And in the time left, we'll talk about the biological proof that the unborn are human. Now, the first question I want to ask is this. Let's say I'm washing dishes at the uh, after dinner tonight, for an example, which I do often, by the way, because I like to help out my wife. Uh, so I'm washing dishes, you know, here I am washing dishes, and my son comes up from behind me and taps me on the shoulder and says, Dad, can I kill this? He's got something in his hand, right? He says, Dad, can I kill this? I'm washing dishes. Dad, can I kill this? Taps me on the shoulder. Can I kill this? Well, before I can answer the question, can he kill it, I need the answer to something. And the answer I need is, what is it? Of course, I'm going to ask. Well, son, what is it? I'm going to know, I'm going to want to know what it is. Now, if it's, you know, a bug, a spider, an ant or something, I say, go ahead, have at it. Who cares, right? But if it's the neighbor's cat, uh, I'm likely going to say, oh, no, that's probably a bad idea. We're not going to do that. So the abortion issue hinges on answering the question, what is it biologically? What scientifically? What is the unborn? Who are the unborn? If they're human, then no argument for abortion is adequate. If they're not human, no ar argument for abortion can be justifiable. Bottom line, that's how it works. So we have to determine whether they're human or not. If you answer the question that the unborn are human, then no argument for for abortion makes any sense whatsoever. Now. The idea that the unborn are human is a settled scientific and biological fact. There are there, no one I know, anyway, in the scientific or bio, uh, scientific community disputes that any further. I mean, we're beyond that now. You might have been able to make the argument in 1973 that we don't know when life begins, which is what Harry Blackman says. He says that we really can't determine when life begins. Therefore, we're going to err on the side of allowing abortion. Can't say that now. 46 years later, all the technology, ultrasound, all of what we got going on, how we can go into the womb and see it at early stages of life, at conception and so forth, there is no disagreement that life begins at conception. I mean, I can bury you in evidence. But let me read one. This is from 
the uh, developing human clinical oriented by embryology <laughs> more and more in Prasad are the uh, authors and this is a embryology book that's used in medical schools all across America on college campuses it says this a zygote which is an early human is the beginning of a new human being human development begins at fertilization do you hear that Human development begins at fertilization. There is no dispute in the scientific community when human life begins. That's a settled issue. Those who disagree are like the flat earthers. They're the, they're the science deniers, not us. On the other side, our pro-abortion friends who say, oh, we don't know when life begins. They're the ones who are the science deniers, not us. They're the ones who deny all the science. It's out there. It's evident. It's clear. What they might say is, well, I'll agree life begins at conception. But I don't know when personhood, when we ascribe rights of person. Okay, that's a debate we can have, right? We say they're one and the same. They say they aren't. Therefore, allowing for abortion, that's what the Supreme Court found. We can make the argument that personhood and humanity are the same thing. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a settled, settled question. No one, no one in their right mind, no one of any credential is going to say that life does not begin at conception. Human life begins at conception. Now, in the, in the time I have left, which is very short here, let me try to give you a uh, an acronym that you can keep with you. And this is going to do with the deal with this the philosophical proof. We've already done the the, the theological, okay. We've done the biological, and we've done the um, uh, the other. What was it? <laughs> the scientific? Now we're going to do the philosophical case. All right. And this is a an acronym that came up was 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 uh, invented or, or brought forward by a man named Michael Schwartz, God rest his soul. And he wrote a book and he used this acronym, SLED, S L E D, SLED, to make the case for the philosophical proof of the unborn. SLED, basically, S L E D, and he said this. You can argue the case for abortion using this acronym. Every argument for abortion on the other side, pro-abortion people, will fall into one of these four categories. SLED, size, level of development, environment, or dependency. One of those is going to be the, the area to which they argue. The first one is size, the S in SLED. The argument goes like this. The unborn are smaller than newborns. This is true. But when does size ever matter as to whether we ascribe rights of personhood? If that's the case, then I shouldn't have any rights of personhood because LeBron James is 6'8 and I'm 5'10 or 5'8 or whatever, right? Size doesn't matter. It should have nothing to do with whether we're a person or not. The second thing is level of development. The argument goes like this. The unborn are smaller than newborns. Uh, this is true. I mean, we're not going to deny that. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, that's size. I'm sorry, level development. The unborn are develop are not as developed as newborns. That is true, obviously, but it's just a function of age. And we have different stages of development, right? We have the, the zygote, we have the embryo, we have fetus, we have a born child, we have a newborn, a toddler, an adolescent, an adult, a middle-aged person, a senior citizen, and so forth and so on. But the level of development continues to change as we grow, as we get older, right? Why should we discriminate based on development? Why should we discriminate based on size when it has nothing to do 
with it, right? And, and the preborn, it's not their fault. They're just younger, right? So we agree that level development is different. You know, a preborn baby is not as developed as a born child. We just think it's not important. It's not essential. And it's not value giving. That's the most important thing. We don't ascribe value based on whether someone is developed or not, or whether they're small or large or what have you. Now, the third one is environment, SLED, S-L-E-D, environment, is the argument goes like this, that the unborn are located inside the mother's womb. True, true, but why would that matter? If that's the case, then environment would matter with when we changed, you know, from this morning, leaving our bedroom to our garage, to our car, coming to work, or what have you. We're changing our environment all the time. Why would that matter? Environment does not have any bearing on whether we are uh, a, a person or not. And finally, dependency, whether we depend on our mothers to live. It's true, of course, but there are others that live on, uh, uh, that are depend on others to live, right? Kidney dialysis, heart pacemakers, I could go on and on. Newborns are dependent on their mothers. Dependency should not determine whether we're a person or not. So I know I, I, I went through this pretty quickly, but we do have the arguments here. The theological, the legal, the scientific or biological, and then the philosophical. And you want to find out more, go to markharrington.org. That's markharrington.org or createdequal.org, and you find out more about how to be a winsome apologist for the pro-life position. If you'd like to have this type of a seminar at your, your church, then contact us at Mark Harrington Argar. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil, evil plague in America, call Created Equal at 614-269-7808, 614-269-7808, or go online to createdequal.net, createdequal.net. Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.